Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are back. Welcome to another episode of Turntable Talk. I am DJ Swift. My man Rugged One is in the house. Yes, sir. This is episode nine. It's been a long time. I want to apologize to everybody. You know, um, life has been been life. You know, I um I lost my grandmother during the between episodes, so you know, dealing with that. So I wanted to say rest in peace to her. And uh yeah. You know, things have been kind of crazy, been busy. But um, how's everything been with you, Rugged One? Uh, been, um, everything's been okay. Um, you know, just uh, keeping myself insane of being, you know, being productive, working on a couple of projects. Um, um, I did um, I did end up going to the hospital, nothing, you know, nothing major. Um, uh, it was a little bit of a cautious concern, but everything worked out okay, so... Um, but uh, but yeah, other than that, everything you know, everything has been okay. You know, just you know, just living and breathing. That's it. Okay, okay, that's cool. That's cool. I, I see you put up the uh, the old TTM fifty seven a little while ago on Facebook. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, um, I was saying to myself, I was like, I was like, let me put up that mixer. What should I? Actually, yeah, let me put up that mixer and um, you know, just for kicks to have fun with it and um, you know. Put the DJM S11 SE. Yeah. Uh, you know, basically just give it a break. That's all. Yeah, yeah. That's all. Yeah. That's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, hold up. I hear a knock at the door, man. I don't know. I, yeah. Who's this? <laughs> Who is this? Oh man, yo, give it up, ladies and gentlemen, for the one and only, the legendary. Uh, he needs no introduction, so I'm gonna just get right into it. Give it up for the one and only, Rob Swift, everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What up? What up? What up? Thanks for taking the time out to be with us, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Last time you was on the show, we had a little technical difficulties, but we've improved that, so we should everything should be good today. Um, yeah, I I'd like to say what's up to Rugged One. Rugged, what up, man? I haven't seen you in exactly thirteen months. Wow. Oh wow. <laughs> wow. Really? That countdown. Yeah. Woo. Man, thirteen months. The one. It was in uh. Boston, we had a big gig at MIT. Yes, that's right. Out yeah. January of 2019, and then COVID hit about a month and a half later. Mm. Yes, and exactly. Yeah. Wow. Grenading, but it feels good to make it another year, man. I'm glad uh, you guys are doing well. Seems like, uh, you know, whatever issues, whatever obstacles were in your way. You guys have conquered them, man. So yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been, it's been crazy this whole COVID thing. How's everything in New York with the COVID right now? Because I'm in Florida. I live in Florida, so we like 100 percent open and normal. Yeah, I'm gonna be in Florida actually March 12th. I leave down there. I'm gonna be in Port St. Lucie to watch the Mets oh, play. Okay, oh, okay, nice. okay. That's spring what's up. Train. Oh yeah, that's then right. I'm gonna go to Fort Lauderdale, and then we're gonna. Uh, Wife and I are gonna make a pit stop in Miami and then come back home. Oh, that's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, as you know, if people don't know that, yeah, Rob Swift is a Mets fan. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I always see you rocking the Mets hat. So <laughs> like my cape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. I I just thought he always did it because he's from Queens. So yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, obviously that kind of coincides with the whole, you know. Blue and orange fitted. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mets playing Queens. I'm from Queens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's synonymous, yeah. you know. But nice. yeah, man, I'm a huge Mets fan, and 
uh, we decided to just take a break from all the craziness, man, that's been happening throughout the year and do something fun. So we're going to fly down there, catch a couple of the Mets games, and then go to Miami and hopefully eat well and relax, man, and then come back and get right back into the hustle of New York. And as far as New York is concerned, things are, you know, slowly but surely getting back to normal, it feels like. Okay. You know? Obviously, we're still having to wear masks mm-hmm. and stuff, but mm-hmm. restaurants are, again, open to the public. I think movie theaters are going to start opening up very soon, and hopefully, man, we'll experience normal again, whatever that's going to be. Right. 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 Exactly. Okay. No, that's good. That's good. That's yeah. good. That's good. Done. So, Raw, I'm going to get right into it. There's a question I've been meaning to ask you since <clears throat> 1996. As many times as I've been around you, and I just never asked you. When you took the hat off of Mixed Master Mike's head during that battle, like, explain to me how that whole thing came about, the way you timed it, and did he, did he know that was going to happen? So, that's actually a very interesting backstory. Okay. Originally, we were supposed to battle specific members of the Invisible Scratch Pickles. So it was myself, Rock Raider, rest in peace, right. and Miss Sinister. Right. And we were battling Hubert, Mixmaster Mike, and Shortcut. Okay. Sinister was going to battle Shortcut. Okay. Raider was in charge of battling Mike. Oh, and okay. I was in charge of battling Hubert. That's how we mapped it out. Oh, okay. When we got oh. there that night and the battle commenced, I guess, I honestly don't remember if we talked to them and we were like, all right, yo, let's split up. And like, Rob is going to battle Hubert and Raider is going to battle Mike. And, Sinister's going to battle Shortcut. Do you guys agree? Like, I'm not sure if we agreed on it, but for some reason, that's what we thought it was going to be. Like, it was just going to be each guy picks another guy to compete against. But then on stage, when it was my turn to go up, Hubert, mm-hmm. uh, not, I'm sorry, Hubert was there, but then he, like, stepped away from the turntables and then Mike got on. So I'm like, I'm battling Mike now. I thought I was going to go against Cuber. Okay. So oh, okay. I'm setting my records up and I'm realizing, okay, so Mike's going to battle me right now. And I'm like, all right, well, what am I going to do against this guy? Because I was prepared to battle against Cuber. And right. I was looking at Mike. I was like staring at him, basically sizing him up, trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do. And then it hit me like, yo, he's wearing that cap. You know, us DJs, it's something about the DJ community, especially guys that DJ, like wearing the fitted hat is sort of like a part of the costume. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, um, definitely. Yep, yep. And, you know, not all DJs wear hats, but the majority of DJs always have a hat on. It's like a it's like wardrobe, you yeah. know, yeah. And yep, yep. all the way back to the days of Aladdin, like where DJ Aladdin from. Compton, California would wear a fitted hat, but he would wear it backwards and slightly tilted to the side. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, but in LA, there's this thing with their caps where, like, referencing Aladdin, Aladdin, it kind of brings me back to like how Aladdin, you know, how some people 
it, you know, if it gets hot, for example, and they don't want their head to sweat, they'll they'll still wear the cap, but it's sort of sitting on the top of their head. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So the West Coast dudes, for some reason, rock their hats that way. Like it's not all the way, you know, <coughs> in or or propped on on top of their head. It's like on it lo- on their heads loosely. So yeah. I remember I was looking at Mike, and I'm like, "Yo, his hat is not on all the way." And I'm sure I could fucking walk over there while I'm DJing and do something to like embarrass him and take his hat. So we have these tricks that we call cue tricks where like you're DJing, you're backspinning, for example, juggling a sound. And then if you spin the record backwards past the spot, especially if you're at the beginning of a song that, Mm. that you're juggling, there's silence there's just dead air because the needle is skating over the part of the vinyl that doesn't have any music recorded on right so you know back in those days the x-men were known for like doing cue tricks so Mm. get the record back there's silence and then you you turn your body around point at the record and then the record starts and it literally looks like you're doing magic like your fingers a wand you know what i mean you're pointing Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm, the record mm -hmm. so I was known for my cue tricks. Like I had one cue trick where I would drink water when I was doing my nobody beats the biz routine. Yeah, I remember. Uh, you turn around, drink water, put mm-hmm. the water bottle down, point at the record, and then the biz starts. So I was like, "Yo, like I, I, at the time, like I was, I mean, I mastered myself down to like literally how many seconds it would take to perform certain cue tricks." certain cue tricks so when i was looking at mike i was thinking if i time this right i could walk over to him and take his hat off his head and walk back to the set you know what i mean and so that was that was impromptu it wasn't planned it like it was right there i saw that mike had his hat on not all the way and i was like i'm just gonna go for this because it's like yo just leave it all on the stage, you know, like this is a battle between the two best crews in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a, and 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 it fucking worked, man. It was dope because when I when I walked over to him, it got silent. Every everyone was like, "What is this guy doing? Like, why is he leaving his station yeah. and, and walking all across, you know, the stage to the other side to fucking what, like Pope Mike or some shit? Like, what's he gonna do?" And yeah, yeah. I took his hat. You heard a few people go, oh, shit. And then when I, then I put my hand around Mike's shoulder. And, po- and with my other arm, I pointed to my side of the stage where my deck was. Because I knew Resurrection, the remix, that song was about to start. And yeah. as soon as I pointed okay. my finger at the turntable, it came in. And it was like a bomb went off, man, in that room. Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> I, I lost my mind when I saw that. that yeah, that's yeah. me. Yep, I, I saw that like, as well, oh, and I was goodness. like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, I was like, "How he just timed that to the T?" Like, did you know how? You know, in my mind, I always thought, "Did he know how the size of the stage where he had enough space to walk over in time before the music?" Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it came across so perfect. Like, yeah, I did it exactly. I did it. But again, it's a cue trick, and you, there are different ways to do it. You could do cue tricks that take long, and you're yeah. like doing all these antics on stage, and then you're counting down in your head 10 9 8 
seven while you're doing the antics and you know when yeah. it hits the, the song's gonna start so i just had my cue tricks time depending on what i wanted to do like which cue tricks allowed me to walk across the stage and take longer to execute or oh, okay. that yeah i just knew so but i didn't know i was gonna do it until i got on stage and i saw mike and i was like all right because uh, yo honestly uh, like as a side note uh-huh. uh whoever's listening to this and really into dj art and the history of battling and all that shit mike was a terror like that guy out of all the invisible scratch pickles i'm not ashamed to say that the one dj out that whole crew that concerned us the most was mixmaster mike oh wow yeah so so, because mike was just like a beast when it came to battling like he entered the 1992 New Music Seminar battle, the Clark Kent battle, and that guy embarrassed every DJ that he went up against. So by 96, <coughs> when we had our battle, you know, myself, Raider, Sinister, we would have our meetings as we prepared for that night. And we would always say, like, Mike is the guy, man, that we really got to go after. Like, obviously, we respected Qbert and Shortcut. But Mike was the guy that we felt we were going to have a hard time with. So all of us were like, yo, whoever battles Mike has to go in. So and that's why we picked Raider, because we felt like Raider was the most, uh, like, exciting. Exciting, dominant. Yeah, on a one-on-one battle. You battle Mike. Mm-hmm. But then for some reason, when I got up there to battle Qbert, Qbert walked off and... Mike went out to the set. So I'm like, fuck, I got to battle Mike. So that's why I was like, yo, I'm going in. I'm pulling out, like, all the stops because I know he's going to come back with something hard, too. So so that's yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, okay. And then you guys were also on your home turf in New York City and all that. So it's like, yeah. I get the mindset. You really got to come with it. You and, know what I'm saying? And uh, what venue was that, if you if you remember? Uh, the what? venue was called Twilo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Very popular okay. pop venue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was a part of the Rock City anniversary, right? Yes. That. Well, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because the whole idea of the X-Men battling the Invisible Scratch Pickles was Crazy Legs' idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Who came up with that idea? Was it Rock Steady? Yep, it was crazy. And there was actually two battles. Y'all did a team battle and then a one-on-one. Well, what happened was we were in Hawaii for an ITF battle. ITF stands for International Turntablist Federation. And that was a very popular battle in the 90s. And we were in Hawaii showcasing at one of their battles, the X-Men and the Invisible Scratch Pickles. After the battle, we all had dinner and Crazy Legs was there. And at the dinner table, Crazy Legs basically instigated the whole battle. He was like, yo, man, this was around spring, and the Rocksteady anniversary was end of July, midsummer. And he was like, yo, man, this year at the Rocksteady anniversary, I want to see the X-Men battle the Pickles. And we were all looking at each other like, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Like, you know what I mean? Wow. It was not yeah. something that either crew was even thinking about, but it's that fucking macho man ego shit like if you're with your boys and someone says yo I bet 
Joe Schmo could beat Jack up. Both of them are going to be like, well, I'm not a punk. I'll fight him. And Jack's going to be like, well, I'm not a punk. I'll fight him. But it's not like either of them were even thinking about fighting each other. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. right. Exactly. Just get okay. Talked into doing this thing that you weren't even contemplating. And next thing you know, you're in a fight, right? So that's kind of what happened. <laughs> Legs instigated it. Neither crew was going to back down from the idea. And next thing you know, we're, we're coming out of retirement, preparing for a battle. Yeah, I love it, man. I still watch that battle to this day, and I still get excited. And You know what I'm saying? I love that, man. I miss those days. To me, that was like the, the golden era, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it was definitely dope. I just always wanted to ask you that. Thanks for uh, clearing that up for me. Now, on to nowadays. You just recently started a new online uh, DJ school. Tell us about that. Yeah, man. I, I just launched a DJ school. Uh, back in January of this year, and I'm really excited. It's called the Brolic Army DJ School. Okay. Rugged One, I'm sure, can appreciate how I feel because you and I, we used to teach at a DJ school here in New York. Yes, uh, yes indeed. Yes, you know indeed. what I mean? Yeah. So I, I just feel like <laughs> finally I have my own proper platform, and I'm not on someone else's platform teaching DJ art. I'm teaching DJ art on my own platform. Black owned. Um, Your own way. It's awesome, man. I'm I'm really happy. And so far, the response to the school has been super positive. And um, students that have subscribed and dived into the lesson plan that I've curated for everyone have been enjoying Mm -hmm. Did my teachings and learning a lot. I post a lot of progress patrol videos, you know, videos basically showing the progress that my students have made over the last few weeks that they've now are a part of this legion of students that I have worldwide, man, that learn under me and, and take my teachings and go on to become DMC champs. I have a student from Australia named Wall Z, who's... Yeah, he's dope, Yeah, he's man. really he's dope, man. Dope, and man. Real dope. Yeah. I remember when we first started training, he knew nothing about beat juggling, and now he's, like, one of the best beat jugglers in the battle circuit. And, exactly. Um, <coughs> exactly. It's yeah. dope, man. It feels good to know that I'm giving back and playing, still playing a role in DJ art and that I could... <laughs> pass on my knowledge and again do it on my platform and not some other schools platform you know mm-hmm. yeah that's good would you ever um bring it in person like a scratch academy or dub spot where you have an actual building um i or mean you keep it online what, you know i'm not against something like that if the opportunity you know provided a means to accomplish all of that because you know opening up a school at a building and, you know, insurance and all that stuff that comes with it, you know, it's not as feasible or easy for lack of a better word, as it is to do online, you know, online, you know, Mm -hmm. film your tutorials, you curate the, the site and you just stay in touch with your students. But in person, you know, that's a whole other animal you know you have to hire staff and all that stuff so you know right now that's not necessarily something that i'm thinking about doing i just want to continue to make sure that i'm maximizing my potential with the site 
And if it came down to it at some point in the future and an opportunity presented itself where I could actually open up a physical building, school, classroom, sort of deal, I wouldn't say no to it. Okay. That's what's up. Because a couple episodes back, um, we had our topic of do you think it's better to learn on your own or at an actual you know, DJ school like you have, and what is your opinion on that? Because all I think I speak for all of us when I say we all learned on our own because of the generation we mm-hmm. come from. But what do you think? Is it better to do it? You know, like I said, like how we did it, or well, all right, through technology. Okay, look, I I can't. That's an interesting question because I can't speak for anyone else, so I can't speak for Rugged One. You know, I can't speak for you, Swift. Me right. personally. When I first learned about DJing, it was through my father. My father was a DJ. Right. Right. So I watched him DJ and he taught me, not necessarily physically. It's not like he grabbed my hand and said, this is what I'm doing. But from afar, helping him transport his equipment, sitting next to him as he rocked the party, you know, at a church or a hall somewhere or a friend's house for New Year's Eve, he taught me the idea of controlling people with music. Like, being able to play a song and getting people to move from the couch to the center of the room to dance. Right? I I didn't learn that on my own. I learned that from watching my dad. Then, when it it came to, like, hip-hop DJing, cutting up breaks, scratching, backspinning, mixing... That my brother taught me. My brother was also a DJ, but he was where my, as my father was spinning Spanish music because we're Colombian. So he was spinning salsa, merengue, cumbia, Latin. My brother was spinning the kind of songs that Herc, Bambada, Flash, Theodore were spinning in those Park Jam tapes in the 70s. You know what I mean? So like he would go record digging and, and buy duplicate copies of Big Beat, Billy Squire, Aerosmith, Walk This Way, Take Me to Mardi Gras, Bob James, Funky Drummer, James Brown. And he would Mm -hmm. use my dad's equipment and cut it up and show me physically, this is how you do this stuff. So I, I, I honestly can't say that I learned on my own. I learned from my dad's example and from watching my brother. And then after being influenced by my dad and being taught by my brother, then I went on and taught myself other techniques that I heard, you know, DJs like Red Alert, Chuck Chill Out, Marley Marl, Johnny Juice. Eventually, I started listening to what Cash Money was doing, Jazzy Jeff, Steve D. By then, I I had enough knowledge where I could teach myself the more technical aspects of this art that my brother for example, didn't know how to do. And I guess the overall point that I'm trying to make is I I personally can't say that I learned on my own. Although there weren't DJ schools, I still learned (laughs) under the tutelage of someone else. So I can't, you know, I know how some other DJ schools teach. And I know for a fact that the way I approach this art form is more organic. So I try my best to teach and pass on what I know in, in the same way that my brother taught me and in, in the same way that my dad influenced me so that 
the organicness doesn't go away. And it's not just some guy from his bedroom somewhere in Idaho or Nebraska copying me. Because that's what a lot of schools do. A lot of schools, they'll just say, copy me do th- doing this and copy me doing that. But they don't push the student to be different and unique. So um, yeah. I think that's probably the issue in learning under, under like, a, 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 it, like a business, like a school. It's that like some schools honestly are just in it to make money. You know, like they know that there's a lot of money in DJing. So, oh, yeah, let's open up a school or let's launch a site and give people videos to watch and charge them a whole bunch of money to watch videos, but they're not really learning how to become DJs. They're just learning how to copy what a DJ does, you know? Uh, If you're learning under the right circumstances, there's nothing wrong with having a mentor. I I mean, even when I was battling, I had a mentor. My my boy, Dr. Butcher, mentored me. You know what I mean? And I know that the DJs that have had mentors are the DJs that have gone on to really make a name for themselves. Jazzy, uh, Jazzy J's mentor was Africa Bambada. Uh, mm-hmm. Africa Islam was Grand Mixer DST's mentor. Um, fucking Cash Money's mentor was Grand Wizard Rasheen. Um, my mentor was Dr. Butcher. Dr. Butcher's mentor was Cut Creator. Steve D's mentor was Barry B. Wow. Like, you know, these, yeah. these uh, Qbert had a variety of mentors. Mixmaster Mike mentored him. DJ Disc mentored him. Like, you know what I mean? So all yeah. all the DJs with like n- names that have really made a mark in this industry have had mentors. So I, I I disagree with the idea that like, well, it's better to learn on your own. Or not that you guys are saying that, but like some people say like, oh well, I'm self I'm self taught. So that makes me better. Not necessarily. You could be self-taught and be whack. You know what I mean? So exactly. it yeah, depends exactly. on um, the kind of mentorship you have. Who is mentoring you and like right. the way they're going about teaching you. And I teach my students the way I was mentored by Butcher, my brother, my dad. And I think because of that, I, I always have good results with my students. Like I have students that are DMC champs. You know what I mean? So yeah that's dope mm-hmm. yeah 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 um I, yeah i was gonna say like i mean if, I, i'll say this if you um is is that what's going on right now like in in today's modern um day right now there's not enough mentoring of like you know um i mean that you know that's of, like like that's what's going on uh-huh. Especially like the battles that we see, like you know, like DMC, the Goldie Awards, which that just passed, and um, other yeah. battle organizations as as itself. Uh, personally, I think that although there are younger, more modern DJs that are interesting to watch, I think I think there are also a lot of younger modern DJs that have holes in their techniques and those holes can easily be filled if they had a mentor to like point things out to them but sometimes when you're on your own doing shit you have tunnel vision and you're just focused on one or a few aspects of your overall skill set 
and there are things that you don't pay attention to. So, for example, one of my criticisms of, like, the younger generation of DJ, I feel, is this. Like, you'll see them in a battle, right? And they'll be cutting up a record. But if you pull that DJ aside and be like, yo, who produced that record? They won't know. Right. Or if you ask them, yo, do, do you know what album that song appears on? They won't know. Yeah. And the point that I'm trying to make is like one hole that I feel exists within the modern era of DJ is the connection to music. I feel like a lot of DJs mm. now DJ because it's it, it's a cool thing to do. So like they learn the techniques because it's cool to do. But when I DJ, I DJ because I love the music. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I remember yeah. me and my boy Psycho Less from the Beat Nuts. Uh, we grew up together. We went to junior high school together. And yo, every morning we'd meet at like a at a spot, like a neutral spot on our way to school. And he would bring his boombox with him and we would play cassette tapes of the previous weekend's uh mega mix shows from Red Alert, Chill, Chill Out, mm. Molly Mall, and we would walk to school. Listening to um, B Boys, uh, Fat Boys, Run DMC, Public Enemy, mm -hmm. NWA. Like, we were listening Big Daddy Kane, Coogee Rap, MC Shan. Like, we would walk to school mm -hmm. listening to these songs. And then, and then a lot of times these DJs would cut, cut breaks. So then we would go on a record excursions about the city. Mm -hmm. I'm talking 12, 13 years old. <laughs> We would jump on a train and, like, go hunt down Mardi Gras, walk this way, Big Beat, Isaac Hayes breaks. You know, we just loved music. And eventually we were like, yo, we have this passion for music and we have these records. Let's get my brother to teach us. My, You know, Les was, it was actually Psycho Les's idea. He was like, yo, yo, Rob, man, like, your brother DJs, let's get him to teach us. And he taught us how to DJ. Oh. I feel like now people make that decision to DJ because they know it's going to bring them what I call social media currency. You know what I mean? So yeah. you're going to mm -hmm. log on to your IG account, post a video of yourself cutting it up for 60 seconds, and automatically you get a bunch of likes. And you might get a few followers from that. Right. And people are making the decision to DJ literally – just because of the attention they get from social media. Yeah, so so because of that, yeah, because of that, yeah, it's like yeah. they don't even know the music that they're fucking cutting up, cutting up. They just know like the first eight bars of a song because that's where they're doing their juggle. Yeah. They don't know the, the lyrics yeah. to the song. They don't know who produced the song. Me, on the other hand, you asked me about any song that I came up on when I was learning how to DJ. I'll tell you who engineered that shit, who produced it, yeah. where they produced it. I'll tell you the label. I'll tell you every album that person dropped. Like, because I just love the the creativity and the artistry behind music. And not just hip-hop either. I'm not just cutting up top 40 records. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I'll cut up anything that sounds good. Right. So right. that's what I mean by holes. Like, a lot of the young Okay. Modern DJs that are out now, 
because they don't really have someone to point that out to them, for example. They just kind of stay stuck in this realm of, uh, I'm, I'm doing this orbit two-click behind-the-back crab scratch flare yeah. for 30 seconds, and I'm using ah, but they don't even know where ah comes from. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah, exactly. so I, I, that, that's just one example of what I feel. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it, because at the end of the day, you know, if someone doesn't care about an artist or the sounds that they're using, that's their prerogative. You know, they don't have to care. But but then what happens is they end up showing off these techniques for just DJs and not music lovers. You know right, what I mean? Right. DJing is supposed to be about playing music and flipping music from music lovers, people that, that like to dance and like to hear music. Whereas now the modern DJ is just DJing for other DJs. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, Dr. Coach Will Swift, that's strange you mentioned, like, you know, who, you know, who engineered it, who mastered it and everything, because, you know, I mean, for all three of us, and I can say this, and we can definitely attest to this, that when we buy like albums or singles and everything, yeah, definitely. I look at, you know, who produced it, who mixed it, who engineered it, who mastered it, who wrote it, if there was musicians on it, and everything that all not. And that's the part I, 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 I look, I, you know, I look forward to, like, you know, each time, you know, um, each time that I buy a record or you know, if I find something, I want to look up, you know, I want to basically look like, I'm sorry, I want to basically look up the information, you know, and, you know, not to say like, you know, like for MP3s or Waves or anything, and you basically getting like either like minimum to no yeah. information. I'd be like, okay, you know, who produced it? Yeah. Who mastered it? Where was it? Where was it recorded? Where was it mixed at? Because I love reading credits. And to be honest, I really do. And, and you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, you're reading like a, you know, you're looking at a board, but there's nothing. Even though you're writing something, but it might be saying something, but not really in in you know, in, in its in, you know, right. in its entirety. So that's why I see like, you know, um, like what you just said, Rob Swift, so like, you know, you know, if you ask like a certain, I mean, any DJ or maybe a young DJ, you're like, okay, uh, what's the name of the artist? What's the name of the song? Yeah. Who produced it? Where was it done? You know, you know what I'm saying? It's you know, it's all about like knowledge of information where you know where it came from and, and how it, you know, how was it exactly. made. I think a lot of that has to do with the era we come from. We come from digging in the crates era where we had to actually go to a record store, look through the records, and actually sometimes, you know, they'll have turntables you can play them and things like that. Nowadays with just a click of a button, you get the sound that you're looking for with very to little research. So I think a lot of that plays yeah. into nowadays where a lot of these newer DJs have, I guess you could say, lack of knowledge. They're not as musical as, as we were. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And, like, yeah, you exactly. know, you're missing something when you're just playing music, but you don't have connection to the music or the song. Right. You're missing. Yeah. So you could, yeah. you could be nasty mm-hmm. and know how to do all the crazy technical scratches and all the crazy juggles, but... Are, are are people that are just into music really even keeping up with what you're doing, or is it just other nerd DJs? You know, yeah. What I mean? yeah. And, and yeah, if you're just right. DJing yeah, for exactly. other nerd DJs, then you're missing the point about DJ. 
is like the like DJ culture. It's not just about the DJs within the culture. It's about people that also are fond of certain DJs and go out and pay money to hear their DJs, their favorite DJ spin, and or maybe buy a mix mm-hmm. or, right. or take the time to sit and download a mix from their favorite DJs. Like cult, the culture of DJing doesn't just revolve around the guy behind the decks or the girl behind the decks. You know, it, right. it, the culture right. is bigger yep, than yep, that. Yep. And a lot of people don't get it. So again, yeah, like you could be nasty with a beat juggle and nasty with scratches and like, and no one gives a fuck. No one cares. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, yeah. so yeah, then like, exactly. what's the yeah. point? Like, it, cause DJing wasn't really meant to take place in the bedroom. Like the bedroom is where you hone your skills and you right. perfect what you want to do. And then you bring that out into the public and share that with people. That's the mm-hmm. process, right? A lot exactly. of these dudes are like, yep, they're yep. just in their bedroom and that's it. And then you put them on a DMC stage and they don't even know how to interact with the crowd. Cause and like, yeah, they right, only right, know right. the techniques. They don't know that if I apply this juggle pattern to this song, they're going to go nuts, man, because this song was hot when it came out. And, you know, right. they don't know that stuff. So interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to come with being a regular DJ first, then a turntablist. True. You know you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't have yeah. one without the other. Yeah, yeah. You know You're right. I mean? so, so a lot of them don't have that. They just buy turntables. And the only thing on their mind is they want to be like a Q-Bird. They want to be like a Rob Swift. They don't know what it is to grind and do a party and just be a yeah, regular exactly. DJ. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, so in a way, it's like you can't blame them in the way I feel bad for them because they don't they just don't have that. Right. You know, not all of them, but there's there's such a high majority of them that that are that's like that. But that's just the time. Yeah, exactly. That's all I was going to say. And it depends on the outlet that they have and um, wherever, you know, wherever they act. So, yeah, it depends on the outlet, too. So, So, Rob, what was the first record you actually went out physically in the store and actually bought with your own money? If you could remember that. Uh, yeah, I do remember. The first record I ever purchased was <laughs> Roxanne, Roxanne, UTF. Okay. And it was, okay. it was nice. at a local record store in my neighborhood right. called Numbers Records. And I was just a big fan of the group, but I mm-hmm. really admired the group's DJ, Mixmaster Ice, because he was nasty yeah. with the cut. Yeah. So I would I would listen to the song, but the scratches stood out to me more so than every anything else. Like the way Mixmaster Ice phrased his scratches, it just mm-hmm. it it was like it's like you can't hear that song without the scratches. It's just you know what I mean. So yeah, you can. Um, that song made a big impression on me, and yeah, that was the first record I ever bought. That's what's up. That's, that's what. Do you? I don't know. I can't no, remember the first no. record I bought because my dad was a DJ, so yeah, that's all. I already had tons of records. But like, by the time I actually started going to buy records, was like, I think ninety five, ninety six. It was around Nas. It was written era. I remember buying that and like, you know, um, some boot camp click records and stuff like that. You know, but um, okay. yeah, man, it's, it's just crazy, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say the same thing. I was, I was gonna ask you what record, what was your first record? Sweet, but... <laughs> yeah, I believe it was yeah. it was a Nas record That's... at first because I bought like a stack of records. Okay. Like, yeah, it was just a oh, whole bunch, okay. but it was around that that era. Okay. 
But um, gotcha. All right. So Rob, out of um, all your favorite, yeah. out of all your routines that you have, that you do, what is your favorite one that you have that that you like and that you like to perform in front of a crowd? Um, oh, fuck, that's a tough one, man. <laughs> I have my favorite. Uh, I'll let him say my it. favorite routine. <laughs> I think honestly, I'm not gonna be that dude and be like, oh well, I have many favorites and then just list them all. Uh, I'll pick right. one. The I think my one favorite routine to do in front of a crowd, honestly, is my bridge, um, public mm. enemy number one routine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, mm. just to explain mm. for people that may not understand, the bridge is a song by MC Shan and Marley Mall, and mm. it's a Queens anthem. So already, like that song just brings back memories and I have such a, you know, we start the conversation off talking about my love for Queens and the Mets and all that. And the bridge is about Queens bridge and Queens bridge isn't even that far from where I live here in Queens. It's probably like a, like a 10, 15 minute drive from my house. Uh, But then, you know, what I'm doing is I'm breaking down the drum beat on the bridge and then I add a melody and when I originally created the song, I was using Public Enemy's Public Enemy Number One, their first single. And yeah. you know, I was a huge Public Enemy fan from the days of the Spectrum City show. They had a college radio show before they were known as Public Enemy, and they these guys were fucking the host of a radio show. And Terminator X was called Melody, and he used to fucking cut it up and. Hank Shockley and the Bomb Squad, they were like DJs up there and mm-hmm. Chuck D and Flavor Flav would talk on the mic and shit. And um, so like I have that kind of connection and backstory to, to the song. But the song starts with this really cool like sample from a old uh, like 70s James Brown type song called Blow Your Head. Uh, yeah. So like I do a, a cool pitch control trick with the melody and then I add the drums underneath the melody and every time I do it I always get people to pump their fists as I'm I'm breaking down the beat and it sounds dope and if you when you look into the crowd it looks dope because everyone's just pumping their fists as I'm doing this juggle and um for those reasons that is my favorite routine yeah it, that, that was mine too and I love how you because you're making it skip or yeah, on purpose I'm making it with the yeah. label Yep, because yeah, I, yeah, you know, yeah, when yeah, I came yeah. up with that routine, there were no laptops. Laptops were created. There were no DJ apps. So I needed to figure out a way to keep that that sound that I was creating the melody with looping because it the sound played on the original Public Enemy track, the sound played for maybe three or four seconds max. And then the drums start and Chuck D starts rapping. And I was like, fuck, man, this sound is dope. But, like, I have no way of, like, going past four seconds with this juggle and then it occurred to me ah, i can make it skip and that's how it'll loop in again man like you know back then it was just interesting because you you were forced to be inventive and use your imagination way that now it's easier to just do things so you're not quite maximizing your your imagination the way you would without the computers and the shortcuts you know so because of that, I came up with this yeah, yeah. routine that like no one thought of doing. Yeah, that's it's still I still yeah, love to watch yeah. that to the day because it became like a 
watching you guys do routines like that, it's almost like a, a classic. Like you're going to watch your favorite artist perform a certain song. So like, you know, when I see you guys do that, it's like, you know, watching like my favorite rapper do this favorite song. Like that's how, uh, how much of an impact you guys routines had on us. You know what I'm saying? So, so like, I remember when I saw you live the first time and you did that, I was like, oh man, he's doing it live. Like, cause I was always rewind that every time that, that I would see that it was like my favorite routine. So to see you do it live was like, you know what I'm saying? It was like really exciting. So it became like, like you said, like an anthem, you know what I'm saying? And um, you can still do that to this day. You know what I mean? And to see you guys like on tour and to actually do those routines and to have like people pay money and you guys be like the main act was like just so dope. Yeah, man. Yep. You know? Yeah. It's like you said, you guys brought that that whole thing to life. Like DJs could actually be in the forefront again. You know what I'm saying? Like you guys really did that. You guys to me were the first I've seen that. Like I remember you guys did the I always had that tape, the European tour in ninety eight. And it just blew my mind, like, to see you guys on tour and you guys were, like, the main act. And you had, I remember uh, you guys had rappers opening up for right, you guys. Exactly. And I was like, oh, this, this shit is dope. Like, it's usually the other way around. You know, mm-hmm. so to see that and, you know, it's, it's just dope, man. I, I just I just miss those days. And I hope that leads on to my next question. Will there ever be, like, an executioner's reunion where you guys will hit the road again? And... Oh, man. I mean. Would Come be back. nice, but you know, Raiders not here. Um, and I don't know, honestly, like ever since Raider passed away, I feel like the collective, the executioner X Men collective, just never really was the same. And I'm just being yeah. honest with you, I'm not gonna even kid you. Like, you know, Raider passed 2009, <clears throat> that, that was that made a very big dent. Um, I'm not going to say it can't happen, but I guess I'm doing my part to keep the legacy of the X alive. You know, I, uh, up until last year when I saw rugged one in MIT, I was touring with Mr. Sinister. Um, right. You know, and we were, we were doing our thing, uh, as the odd couple and obviously it was not the whole crew, but we brought that X-Men vibe to everything that we did as a pair. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I would like to at least see it some like this you, Sin, and Eclipse get back together. Yeah. Well, Eclipse, Even if you know, just... Eclipse lives in Australia now. Australia. Yeah. You know, and he's yeah, married, Australia. you know, and he still DJs, but yeah, like he's on the other side of the globe. So, Uh, I'm not going to kid you and be like, oh, yeah, Yeah. you know, we're working on some things or nah, dude. Like, it's just hard to make something like that happen now because, A, again, Raiders not here and B, we're we're all kind of spread out doing our own thing. But at at the end of the day, I do my part to keep the legacy going. Um, I post a lot of videos from back then, archival shit, you know, before seeing videos of us practicing. At home, yeah, yeah I like that. I love yeah, I write my little captions, just letting people know what it was like and what we were thinking about back then. And um, mm-hmm. I guess that's the beauty in having all that footage is that, like, although right now we're not necessarily in that mindset where we're like touring and mm-hmm. all that shit, and with COVID, like, who knows when people 
going to be able to tour like that again. But, you know, we could relive that through a lot of the videos that I post, like on my YouTube page and Instagram and all that. Yeah, yeah. At least, I mean, I think at least one show would be dope, you know what I'm saying? Like one show in New York at a, at a BB King's or something like that, you know, kind of like a reminiscing. I think it'd be I'm dope. Not, I'm agreeing with you, dude. It would be dope. Hopefully, you know, the planets align yeah, and something like yeah. that will happen. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What was it like working with um with Lincoln Park and touring with them and being on MTV and, and I remember you guys were on BET one time. Like, what was that whole experience like coming from the underground DJ scene to like, bam, now we're in the middle of the mainstream and people know who you are. What was that whole experience like? Was it mind blowing, nerve wracking? Uh, yeah, it? everything you just said and then some mind blowing, nerve wracking, exciting, fun. Um, mm-hmm. scary even at times. I remember when we opened up for Lincoln Park on their tour, we were hitting cities that knew nothing about DJing and turntablism. So I remember we were like in places like Lincoln, Nebraska, and mm. you know, not to get racial or anything mm. like that, but you had like white boys in the crowd, like, who the fuck are these dudes? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, like, not caring, not yeah. caring that we were yeah, cutting yeah. up Eric B uh, for president and, and shit like that. And I remember, like, midway through the tour, we realized, like, yo, we're trying to j- force feed authentic hip-hop to, like, white boys that, like, all they know is, like, rock. You know what I mean? So right. we, we switched up our style, and then we came, we started coming up with, like, like, juggles and and team routines but like with rock records and um yeah. and then we started winning over the crowds they started getting it and so it was scary you know at times because like some we you know we would be in cities opening up for this you know multi-platinum rock group but the crowds weren't feeling us they weren't understanding <clears throat> what scratching and juggling was about and then but then that fear we overcame it and we ended up being better DJs for it because we expanded our palette, our perspective on how to manipulate turntables as a team. And then we came up with crazier routines, you know? And so that, yeah, man, I, I, those days were, I mean, you can't really put into words the impact that those experiences made on us and our careers, man. Like, you know, Lincoln park, touring with Eminem, uh, appearing on David Letterman. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's shit that, yeah. like, even DJs today, with all the popularity that is surrounding the art form, aren't doing. Like, what DJs right now are no. you seeing getting busy on a talk show, like, on the caliber of Late Night with Dave, David Letterman? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, nobody so, Yo, man, I always say the popularity that surrounds DJing right now has a lot to do with what the executioners accomplished in the early 2000s. And the fact that, for example, I was in a Gap commercial. um, Like, we helped bring, like, like, turntablism to an audience that didn't know it existed. And because of that, now everybody and their mother wants to fucking learn how to scratch and juggle and they're taking classes and watching video tutorials every literally 
everybody wants to learn how to DJ, and that shit has a lot to do with what yeah. the X-Men executioners help portray of DJing, you know, before it was really known. You know, it was another thing. Yeah, I totally now it's agree. Mainstream. Yeah, I totally, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. Rugger, what, you got any questions? I don't want to take over everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think I had a question. No, actually, I, I have a fun fact question. I have a fun fact question. Um, I remember, I, I don't know, um, actually, Rob, yeah, remember yeah. the studio Power Play? Okay. Now, um, I remember I was in a session with you were in the Akinelli, and this wow, yeah, I was in the session now, yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm about to bring in this next question because. Because I know you used to DJ with um, Akinelli, um, and um, yeah, actually, I'm sorry, you, you, you used to DJ with Akinelli, and, uh, and 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 then some. I remember you you did a routine inside the, uh, um, a studio, and I and I and I remember this day. It was in Studio A, and 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 you and Akinelli was doing like a um, what do you uh-huh. call it uh, like a show, and you did a, and then you did a, a particular routine. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, yo, this dude is really dope. And one of the routines was, um, oh, God. Uh, oh, God. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Funky for you. Yeah. Yeah. One of my I, favorites. That's, that's one of the routines I like. Yeah, one of my favorites. And you had another routine. You, you were flipping another um, dope record. How, 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 how well, that came The routines or like DJing, on. this was in the studio you saw this, right? So you want to yes, know yeah. how the routines came about or like how did I end up DJing with Ak and, and all that? Well, actually yeah, both, so, if, you, um, if, you, if you can elaborate. Basically, both, if you can elaborate. Ak started hearing about me in the early 90s because I started competing. Mm-hmm. And, okay, you know, the connection that we all have being all Queens natives is large professor, main source. So, I was being mentored by Dr. Okay. Butcher, and Dr. Butcher was good friends with Large Professor. Large Professor was good friends with mm, Akinelli, okay. right? Because of that <coughs> six degrees of separation, so to speak, um, Akinelli was hearing my name a lot, and he ended up going to the 1992 DMC here in New York that I won. And after I won it, he came up to me and he was like, yo, man. I've been hearing about you. I want you to be my DJ. And I was just like, oh, this is dope. Because, like, at the time, Live at the Barbecue was, like, the hottest song. Um, yeah. you, know, you had Nas yeah. on it, yeah. Joe Benito, <laughs> yeah. Professor, and Akinelli. Yeah. Right. So yeah. to have this Akinelli, guy that's yeah. on the hottest song, you know, of the, of the year, basically, I want me to be his DJ. I was just like, wow, like, this is dope. And that was really my whole point was, battle for like a couple of years make a name for myself regardless of whether i win a competition or not thankfully i did win a competition but more Mm. than anything i wanted to just make a name for myself so that i could take it to the next level and dj for somebody and tour and experience working on an album and that's what happened um but when i was dj for hawk and i would go to the studio uh, he would want me to like bring records and like show people how dope I was. Because at the time, if you were a rapper, you had a very dope DJ and you wanted to show that DJ off. You know what I mean? So, um, right, yeah, exactly. You yep. know, 
that's it's crazy rugged i hadn't i don't remember that i remember like cutting up records on various occasions while i was in the studio but wow it's, it's dope to hear that you were in one of those sessions and i'm assuming you were like like an assistant to one of the engineers or something yeah yes i was yeah um yeah um i forgot who Dino it was Servo. oh so god was it was it Dino? yeah yeah, I think it was either Dino Liz Servos Ricardo, or yeah, right. Liz Mercado, right. which I still, which, yeah, Liz Mercado, which oh, I'm still, which I'm still contacted. Call them with up, man, so, when you yeah. speak to them. But um, yeah, uh, a lot of times I could be Those like, "Yo, I'm gonna have such and such at the studio today. Yo, bring your records." You know what I mean? And and I bring my records, and then like such and such oh, okay. would show up, and then he'd be like, "Yo, Rob, cut it up," and I would just cut it up for like these random rappers or just friends of his and shit. Uh, and yeah. as far as the routines, oh, like, yeah, man, it's just more the same. Like, me wanting at the time, man, I was just, like, so about, like, battling and coming up with routines. And I just wanted people to know I was nasty, man. So I would come up with routines with all kind of records. And Funky For You was one of those blessings, man. I had the record. I was a fan of the record because I heard Public Enemy or Spectrum City DJs play it on their radio show. I went oh, out okay. and found the record, and I was like, okay, oh, man, okay. I'm going to come up with a routine off this shit. Because the singers on the song, War, that's the name of the group, um, they oh, okay. they say, um, make a little funky beat, and I'm a beat juggler. So I was like, yo, man, I'm going to take that part and flip it, because that's my whole thing. Like, I make beats on the turntables, and it, it came to be, it became one right, of the right. classic routines that people associate me with yeah and that, that wordplay yeah, in it too yeah, that was exactly. yeah that wordplay I, yeah. I was like yo i was like yeah. so he's making the record talk <laughs> and say what he wants it to say like Ex exactly yeah, yep. that exactly. blew my mind yep. when i saw that yeah since we yeah, i was like <laughs> but, no, I was gonna say, yeah. I mean, Swift, you should have seen me when, when when I sat in that session, and and when he did that 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 routine, my mouth. I mean, I was so like stargazed, or I was like, my mouth just dropped. I was like, what? I just, <laughs> wait, he did. I'm gonna. I was like, wow. I was like, I, I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And that that made me realize. I was like, wait, I could do that as well too. So yeah, there you go. That's why. That's why I brought that up. So, yeah, crazy. But I'm glad you remember it too. So. That's dope. Is there any artist or DJ that you haven't worked with that you would like Ooh. to? Man, I'd like to work with like DJ Shadow. Um, I'd like to fuck around and do a song with Cut Chemist. Those two. Those okay. two dudes, man. Mm. Like, okay. there's an energy, a, a personality to their music, man, that just really vibes with what I'm about as far as music is concerned. Yeah. Um, that said, I've already worked with some incredible DJs. Cubert, uh, Mixmaster Mike, uh, fucking DJ Quest, uh, Beat Junkies. Yeah, man, I've worked with a lot of really dope DJs, so I'm super fortunate. But those two stand out, Cut Chemist and Shadow. Yeah. Okay. 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 Now, right, um, nice, nice, what are nice. some of the other like rappers that you've DJ for? I know you, uh, a couple of you guys, like one of y'all work with Fat Joe, and I know Sinister was with Common well, at one point. I, um, I only DJed for Akinelli, right? But I, 
okay. elaborated. Like I've done scratches okay. for Fat Joe, um, worked with Farrell Monch on a few songs. Uh, okay. Uh, the first scratches I ever did on vinyl was for Chi Ali. Yeah, oh, okay. on his first album because the Beatles really? oh, wow. produced okay. that. Okay. I, I grew up with the yeah, so they wanted. Oh, to that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, collaborated with yeah. Big Pun, Kooji Rap, okay. um, Sinister. Yeah, he DJed for Common. Um, He's doing yeah, the scratches he did the on Resurrection, Resurrection right? which are classic. Um, okay. Which yes, scratches did you do for on, Fat uh, Joe? Rep, what is it? Uh, oh, shit is real. Yeah. Yes, oh, okay. The no, one that he, there's an original. Yeah. The one that premiered did is a no. remix. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I won't. I, I think I've yeah. only heard the, the so premiere. So the original album. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yep. That's on the Jealous that. Ones Envy, I believe. The first. Yeah. No, oh, it's, the, it's first the first one. one. Okay. Fat Joe the Gangsters and shit. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah Fat Joe the Gangsters the first album. Okay, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? You still keep in contact that? with those guys? Fat Joe, you know, you want to know how much I got uh-huh. paid for that? Fifty dollars. How much? <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Ooh. Okay. And that's, that's a, a classic, classic record. record. Wow. It's a classic record. Wow, that's, yeah, that's, and for artists, nah, I mean, he's huge nowadays. To see, like, yeah, yeah, he's huge. He's, he's wow, yeah, wow, wow. That is crazy. Fifty dollars. Fifty dollars. All right, then. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Wow. What's, what's one of um? Tell people some of the things like behind the scenes. Like, what's actually like the weirdest or the funniest thing that happened either to you or the crew while you guys were touring? Like, made you just oh, say like, "What man, the?" Fuck? So many fucking crazy stories I have. Uh, I'd say one of the weirdest things <laughs> was uh, I have so many. Probably <clears throat> fucking. I remember. Me, I, we were on tour. It was, you know, I was DJing for Akinelli. We were on tour. We were in Atlanta. And we were opening up for Snoop Dogg. And, um, okay. Oh. Okay. We got, finished the show. We killed it. I'm backstage packing my stuff, you know, my records, putting my needles in order. And Snoop walks up on me and he's like, you know, in his voice, yo, yo, G and shit. He's like, uh, He's like, yo, man. Um, he's like, yo, my DJ Warren G. You know, he ain't got his needles, and we're go on. Would you mind if we use your needles? And I looked at him like, what? Like, bro, you're crazy if you think I'm gonna let you borrow my needles. And I was like, nah, nah, you're not borrowing my needles. He was like, oh, don't worry, man. Like, you know, if if, the, if anything happens to them, we'll pay you. And that made me say no, even like m- with more conviction, because I was like. Be, be this, I don't care about your money. Like, you're not borrowing me my needles. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and this yep. is Snoop Dogg. <laughs> this is Snoop Dogg. But it's not I mean, Snoop Dogg is a big, like, artist. But, like, at the time, he was, like, what Nas was when he dropped his album. Oh, my. When he, when he dropped oh, okay, his album, okay. Snoop was, like, on, in every magazine, everyone loved him. Like, you know, the, the affiliation with Dr. Dre and all that shit, yeah. chronic. So it's like, I think 
I, I, it was almost like he expected me to say yes because probably everyone say, said yes to the dude. And I looked at him like, nope, right. you're not borrowing my needle. Sorry. <laughs> and I moving. Yeah. That wow. was like funny. I have mad stories, but like that's just a funny story. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Bro, wow. Notice, dude, what was his reaction? Like, though? He looked like, at me I'm like, cool with it. Like, yeah, I was puzzled. Like, Word like no, you're not gonna let me borrow needles. Like, but I was like, nah, dude, you're not letting. I have fucking two needles. You know, I don't know your your DJ. I don't care that it's Warren G. Like, I don't know y'all. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, ah, uh, and I, I mean, yeah. as a DJ too, like you're supposed to bring your fucking needles to to show. Like, how are you showing up to a gig and you're, yeah, you're not prepared? Yep, like yep. that that whole thing just rubbed me yeah. the wrong way. And I remember just thinking like, nah, man, you're gonna have to. <laughs> That's crazy. I wonder if he remembers that. He probably don't. But that's crazy. Yeah, I highly doubt it. That's like eons ago. Yeah, so you were not star. Well, that's one thing about me is like I've I've just never been that kind of person. Like you know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. Here's here's the reason I'm not starstruck. And I'm gonna not. I'm not gonna tell who. I'm not gonna mention the DJ by name, but there was a Queens okay. DJ. I'll just say he's a Queens DJ okay. that I that I looked up to before anyone knew who Rob Swift was. And I, I used to watch the videos with right. him, and I was just like, man, this guy's dope, and he's from Queens. And I ended up entering my first battle, and he was in the battle too. And I remember at the battle, he seemed really cool, and like he gave me his number. And I was just excited because I'm like, yo, I have this dude's number now. Like, wow, like, fuck, I'm in this world now where, like, I could talk to my heroes. You know what I mean? And I remember, like, the next day I called him just to pick his brain the way you would. And back then, you know, it's not like you Mm -hmm. had social media where you could just DM someone and, like, talk to them. Like, you had to call the dude to, like, fucking vibe with him and shit like that. So I remember I called him. And, like, his vibe on the phone was completely different than his vibe was when we met in person. And it was more like I felt mm-hmm. like like he looked down mm-hmm. on me. And he, it's not like he said anything, like, verbally. It was the energy I felt. Like, the energy I felt. I just remember feeling like this dude thinks, mm-hmm. like, he's fucking, like, better than me and shit. And I remember after that experience, mm-hmm. I told myself, A, I would never treat a fan or a DJ that was on the come up that way. And B, I was never going to put myself mm-hmm. in a position where someone of quote unquote status can like sun me. You know what I mean? So, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not yeah, going to say that that yeah. is the reason I said no to Snoop Dogg or anything like that. But like, I think that just taught me that like the, this industry is filled with a lot of people that are egomaniacs. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. It's funny, yeah. though. What's funny yeah. about that yep. story for that DJ is be, is that <laughs> now he, like, I, like, I'll post something, and he jumps in my post, and he's just like, yo, Rob, you know, you're dope, and I'm so proud of you, and da-da-da-da, you know what I mean? Like, going on and on about, like, you're doing it, and this is just dope to see. And I don't even know if he remembers that interaction that I had with him on the phone. Wow. 
Yeah. He probably does. That's probably what he acts like now. You know, it goes to show, you know, yeah, watching your shit on because exactly. you never know what that person is going to be one day. You know what I'm saying? You might you might need yeah, exactly. them or they might exactly. become bigger than you right. and you feel like salty, like, damn, I should have been more, you know, cool with them or whatever. Yeah, cool. Or be more humble or be modest. Yeah, or yeah but one thing about all you guys, I know is all you guys are always cool and, and down to earth and very approachable. Um, I don't think I've ever met any DJ that had like an attitude problem. So I met rappers and celebrities that were like that, but I've never there's met a, a few DJ DJs. Like there's that. a few. DJs. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there yeah. is, but yeah. I just never personally well, that's come good, across man, because like it's that. not you know a it's, it's a funny feeling to meet someone that you admire, especially if you're a DJ too, because you, th- oh, we have like a brotherhood. Yeah. Like there's you know, that connection that we have. And then you realize, man, this person is just a dick. You know what I mean? I've always told myself to never, ever let my ego get that big to where, like, I'm not engaging someone if they want to talk. And that's not to say that sometimes people, I'll be honest, sometimes people, you know, there are people that could be annoying. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're like, yo, let's take a picture. You take the picture. Now they want to sit there and talk to you for, like, 30 minutes and you got to, you know, get on stage, for example, that, that could, you know, annoy you, but even circumstances like that, like you got to check yourself and know that this person is just excited to talk to you and it's not like they see you every day. So you got to be able to like control your emotions and, and figure out a a tactful way of like, if they're talking for you, to you for too long, you know, a tactful way to end the conversation so you could go about getting ready for the show or whatever the case. Exactly. Plus, a lot of people don't realize that's a reminder that you guys are like role models in a way, too. You know what I'm saying? To to us, you like, you guys are like our celebrities. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you put me in a room with somebody like Jay-Z or one of the executioners or Craze, I'm going to get more excited to see you guys than I am. Jay-Z or somebody yeah, like that, you know what I'm saying? So so a fan is a fan regardless. Yeah, so Yeah, exactly. And and that's and that's and that's the key. And that's the key. You know, always, you know, always remain humble, always um always remain humble, always remain modest, because you never know, you know, who you'd be talking to, and then you'd be like, Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I'm gonna ask about maybe one or two more questions. I know you gotta get out of here, Rob, but um what's one of the things that you personally Look for when you're judging a competition, a DJ competition. Like, what do you look for in that originality? Are they performing mm-hmm. in a way that's unique to them, or are they just a carbon copy of DJs I've seen before them? Creativity, you know, mm-hmm. are you taking chances? Are you trying your best to personalize the techniques? You know, everybody could transform, but. Mm-hmm. Are you are, are are you gonna transform ah the way everyone else does, or are you gonna pick a sound that no yeah. one's thinking about transforming? Mm-hmm. Um, showmanship is important to me. You know, as That's a true. DJ, true. you're not just DJing for yourself. You're not in your bedroom. You're on stage at a battle, so you want to be able to engage your audience and engage the judges. That's very important. There are a lot of dope, amazing skillful DJs that have zero personality and they get up on stage and they run through a set flawlessly but like it's hard to really get into the set because they're just up there like no a zombie, like just dead 
You know what I mean? Um, yeah. No showmanship. No, no showmanship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and then no lastly, I would say no, just yeah, no. uh, music selection is important to me. Like I, I was saying earlier in this conversation, a lot of guys now, the younger generation, like they'll they'll cut electronic music because the DJ that won the DMC the year before was cutting electronic music. So electronic music yeah and, I hate that. and that to me is like you're selling yourself short because there's so much good music out there you know these techniques music that we do yeah, exactly. yeah. can be applied exactly. to so many different genres of music rock r&b soul funk house hip-hop it's yeah, infinite anything. you know what i mean so it's music a, selection like is the person taking time to curate a set that just sounds good sonically and not just looks good or sounds good from a technical standpoint like does it sound good just for the sake of it being music because at the end of the day you are a dj so your music selection matters so yeah those are the qualities that i look for when i judge a battle okay that's cool that's cool I would probably be the same way. My last question to you would be, uh, would you ever, I know your your last album was with Sinister, but would you ever do a, another solo um, album with just you? You know, if I'm motivated to do that, I'll do it. Right now, I've been working a lot with a colleague of mine named The Real DMT, and he and I, we've been putting together some really cool music, man, and it's been fun collaborating with him. He's a He's a MC from New York, but unknown. Like it's not like he's on the underground. It's not like he has the kind of buzz that, let's say, like the Griselda dudes do. You know. But that said, I like him, right. and mm-hmm. I enjoy being creative with him. And for me, that's all that matters. I don't care if you're if your name's buzzing or not. If you're a creative dude and you're open minded and you'd like to try new things, I'll work with you and. Uh, we put out a EP last year in May called The Cure, like right at the beginning of the fucking COVID epidemic or pandemic, I should say. And um, and yeah. we just wrapped, we're on the <laughs> cusp of wrapping up a new project that we worked on uh, over the last couple of months. And hopefully we'll be putting that out this year. So, yeah, man. That's what's up. Okay. Yeah, so we look forward to everything, man. Hopefully to see you on the road again. Any projects oh, coming out? Anything yeah. you want to plug? Hey, just, anything like thank that? Thank you guys Shout for having me on your show. It's been fun uh, having a cool conversation about DJing with you yes, guys. Yes. I want people to follow me on social media. Brolic Arm, B-R-O-L-I-C-A-R-M. On Instagram, follow mm-hmm. the Brolic Army. B-R-O-L-I-C-A-R-M-Y on Instagram. That's a page that I dedicate to my students. And if you're listening to this and you're interested in learning about this amazing art form, log on to Brolic Army DJ School. It's, it's a very intense, comprehensive, like, school. And we cover everything from the basics of DJing to the advanced techniques of party rocking, building a club set together, 
battling. You know, I talk about how to beat juggle properly. That's a technique that's elusive to many. I have what I call 10 root movements of juggling, yeah. the base. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I talk about scratching. Cool. There's workshops on there. It's really good content for anyone that wants to learn how to DJ the way I did, you know? So um, hopefully people will visit the school. And yeah, man, that's about it. Okay, that's what's up, man. We we thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome anytime. Thank you, thank you. It's just cool to to have you on and Mm -hmm. to to conversate with you. Like To me, it's still mind-blowing, you know what I'm saying? Because I grew up, you know, watching you guys and so I never thought one day wow these guys would be on my show and I'd just be kicking it with them and stuff like that so that's that's really dope man so you know we appreciate that and um it's good to still see you out and about oh, and yeah. do doing your thing after all these years and um and, yeah man just keep doing right, your so thing man much love and respect to you um yeah yes, before we get out of here remember oh uh, you can find us on what is it uh anchor.com shout out to anchor yeah, so many. Well, where else we at? We are iTunes, iTunes, yeah, iTunes, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. Uh, no, this is Pocket Cast. Them, yeah. you know. yeah, shout out to Any them. Any other shout outs you want to get? Rugged one for you go. Uh, wow, that's a good question. No, shout out to Rob Swift, man. It's always a pleasure. I'm, 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 I'm glad that he mentioned about the the event that that I attended that he did with MIT, Work. which was a year ago. Which was a which was a dope event. Uh, so shout out to you, Rob Swift. It's been a yeah. pleasure, and I hope we connect soon and and you know in the future. And uh, let me see. As far as like shout outs, yeah, shout out to you, Swift. Um, and right on. Yeah, shout out to all the people that's that's checking in, that's listening. That's, that's what's all. Up, that's what's up. Yo, maybe one day we could get like you and all the original X Men members on the show and just go over the whole history of you yeah. guys and everything. I think that that'd be dope one day. Right. We should do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, because I think a lot of the uh, younger guys need to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, thanks again, man. We're gonna get out of here. We're gonna see you guys at episode ten. Appreciate right, y'all. Peace. One love. It is what it is, yo. One love. Peace. <laughs>